Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. This is the third part of a series that I've been doing on the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 6 through 9 in particular. Today we look to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This idea that there is only one God. You can try and find all sorts of other gods in your life if you want. Idols of all sorts of shapes and flavors and sizes, but these things are not going to help you. They might bring some satisfaction for a while, for a season, some comfort, some pleasure, some distraction, but actually we need to be careful about distraction because distraction will draw you away from what we truly should be focused on, which is our relationship with the one true God. For there is only one God. He is Yahweh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the God who has reconciled us back to himself, who has saved us by the wonder and the joy of the cross and what Jesus has done. The God that we can have a relationship with, not just that we would know him, but that we can have a relationship with him, that we can be his people, his children, given the right to be called the children of God. It is a remarkable reality. The Lord is one. And then we looked in our second uh, talk at Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus says, look, this is the most important commandment. Remember that God is one and love him with everything that you have. We explored the, the, the Decalogue, comparing it to the Decalogue, this idea of 10 commandments, not idea, reality of, of 10 commandments, and the idea that, that what actually, if we were to find in those 10 commandments, 10 reasons to love Jesus. Actually, there's an infinite amount of reasons to love Jesus. But what if we just planted ourselves in, in 10 reasons from the law of God that draws drew us into truer relationship with him. That's what we explored last time, to help us to love him with everything that we have. We've rejected God's love. God cried out to us in the garden, where are you? Where are you? I can't find you. And in that rebellion and rejection, he didn't leave us abandoned. Instead, he sent his son to die on the cross, to shout out to the father, where are you upon the cross? So that we might never need to answer that, ask that question ever again, because the answer is I'm, I'm right here on the cross for you but now risen again so that you can know life and life in all of its fullness. The final part today is how we take the reality of knowing that there's one true God and the reality of realization that we need to love him with everything that we have, but not get sidetracked, distracted and disillusioned, that we must remember, 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 not the 5th of November, that's, that's next week. If this had been next week, it would have been almost perfectly time to do some kind of remember, remember the 5th of November shenanigan. But we don't need remember, remember the 5th of November. What we have biblically is an incredible framework by which we can remember who God is and the life that he has called to us. If you're anything like me, you might have a terrible memory. I have an appalling memory. Anybody out there would say they have a pretty bad memory? Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a few hands there. They're like, I'm not sure. Maybe you've forgotten whether you have a good memory or not. Um, that's a cheap joke. Ignore that one. And um, so I have a terrible, terrible memory. And, and my, my wife, Naomi, will tell you I'm forgetting things all of the time. I actually forgot to send our wedding invites out. She packaged them up. She even put stamps on them and everything. And all I had to do was send them out. I forgot to send my own wedding invitations out. That's how bad of a memory that I have. But one of the things that I often do is when I'm driving down the motorway, I, uh, I get distracted. And, and actually, distraction is one of the things that will give you a bad memory. It's not so much that you don't have the capacity to remember things. It's that other stuff gets in your mind and distracts you from what you should be focused on. And before you know it, boom, you've forgotten what you were supposed to be doing. The amount of times I've been driving on the motorway and coming up to my 
turn-off point, and what am I doing? I'm singing along, carpool karaoke style, to some song in the car, some, you know, Spice Girls classic or something. I'm singing away, and before you know it, I've missed the turn-off. And I remember being in Germany. I've got some of our German friends here today. And I was in Germany with, uh, with the wonderful Sven. Good morning, Sven, if you're watching. And uh, he was bringing me to the airport. And we were driving to the airport. And we were having a great conversation. I think we were having some fun. Might have been playing a game in the car. You know, all the kind of fun stuff that you do when you're on a long journey, as long as you're not a boring person. If you're a boring person, get, get fun. Have some fun in the car. So we were having some fun in the car. And um, all of a sudden, Sven looked at me and he was like, oh, no, brother. I'm not going to do his accent. That'd be offensive. He was like, oh, no. I was like, what? He's like, we, we've missed the turnoff. And we were so distracted in our conversation that we missed the turnoff, which then meant that by the time we did a full circle, because whenever you miss a turnoff, it's never a convenient one where just like a, a mile down the road, you've got another opportunity, right? I can see you nodding along. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like 20 miles down the road is the next turnoff. By the time we'd done the full circle and got all the way back, guess what? Uh, it was going to be too late for me to get to the airport. We got stuck in traffic. I missed my flight distraction, even though it was a good thing, positive thing in terms of we were having fun, we were having fellowship, and yet we weren't actually concentrating on the task at hand. On what was probably most important in that situation is that I needed to get to the airport. I had somewhere to be. And there was a, a time implication to that. There was a cost implication to that. There were real world implications for me missing that flight and that turnoff that came about from distraction and forgetting to turn off. What Moses is trying to tell the people of Israel in this passage is how many times are you going to be traveling down the highway of God's love and relationship with God and get distracted by other things and miss when God asks you to turn? And God is asking us to turn. He's asking us to turn back to him. The world has missed the fact that we are to turn back to him full stop that we're going the wrong way, repent, change direction and come back home. They've missed that. They're distracted. We couldn't say they've forgotten it. They don't, they don't even know it. They are distracted and they do not know. But we as the people of God, we know what God has asked us to do. And yet so often we become distracted, forgetful, and we turn our eyes to idols. We forget to love God as he should be loved. We are distracted. The enemy comes in and he disillusions us. He distracts, he distorts. And before you know it, our faith is destroyed. And the destruction of faith brings with it the destruction of life because there is no life outside of relationship with God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Do not forget these things. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You know, Orthodox Jews take this passage incredibly seriously and quite literally. We've already heard how this passage is, is basically uh, John 3.16. Uh, what John 3.16 is to, to the Christian, you know, that most well-known of Bible verses, what Martin Luther called the gospel in miniature. That same thing, that same idea is, is present here for the, the Shema, De Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 in particular, uh, and 5. But then we go on into six through nine and we see some commandments about how to keep these things in mind. Don't forget, don't get distracted. Don't miss your turning. Remember these things. How are you going to remember them? This is how. Write them down. 
Impress them on your children. Talk about them. This should be daily conversation. I don't know what else you're talking about, but make sure you're talking about God, who he is, what he's done. Remember, 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 because whenever you forget, you'll be distracted and you'll be drawn away. And when things get difficult, when things get challenging, when life doesn't look how you think that it should look, your distraction will draw you to a false God, to a false idol. And those things can't help you. Why? Because they don't exist. It's nothingness. Actually, there's even things worse than things that don't exist. There are things that you can turn to that, that do exist, evil forces, evil powers. That It's not just turning away from God to nothingness. It's turning away from God to the exact opposite, to, to evil. That will bring corruption into the world. That's how, what got us into this mess in the first place. Remember these things. Talk about who God is so that you have confidence. Build one another up in the faith. When you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, is the last thing that you think about before you go to bed. Jesus and who he is and what he's done. It's the first thing that you think about when you wake up in the morning. Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Or is it looking at the phone screen? Is the first thing that you do in the morning, roll over and reach for your phone and check out Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or whatever else that we might be looking at? Or is it actually going, I'm not going anywhere near my phone this morning until I've spent time just praying, get my Bible out, I'm going to use a Bible on my phone in the mornings because it's too tempting to look at other things. I'm going to get a paper Bible. However I need to do it, I'm going to get it and I'm going to, I'm going to get in the Word because I want to remember before anything else today, I want to remember who God is. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. You know, Orthodox Jews take this very seriously. They literally tie these things on, the tefillin, the, the little black boxes that you might have seen Orthodox Jews wear on, on their, on their uh, biceps normally, and it's kind of tied right down their hand and around uh, their arm and around their hand, and one on the forehead containing verses uh, from the Scriptures in them as well, that they would literally have them on them to help them remember the mezuzah, that they, the little boxes that they tie put on the door frames because it's write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates that have, literally have the Shema written inside of them on a little parchment, a little scroll. You might have seen those hanging on. Perhaps even some of your families have, have got one of those. It's often a popular thing to bring back if people go to Israel. They bring back a mezuzah and hang it on, on the door frame. And, and, and actually, we might look at those things and we might say, yeah, you're taking it too literally. You're taking it far too literally. Well, you don't, like, the word doesn't mean like literally tie these things onto you. It means actually figuratively make sure they are completely bound to you, that the law of God is hanging over your, your doorframe, which represents your household, hangs over your gates, which represents your society, is on your body, which represents you as a person. You don't need to take it so literally. And I'd say, look, I, I agree. I don't necessarily think... You need to take it that literally that we physically have to hang the things over. But neither would I be disparaging of anybody who chose to do it. Because guess what? I don't do it and I forget about God all the time. Do we really think that we're remembering God more effectively than the Orthodox Jews who do these things physically and literally? Now, I'm not suggesting that we should go and start tying the tefillin to ourselves and hanging the mezuzah around as a religious practice. I'm just suggesting we can so easily dismiss religious practice as being a waste of time and actually end up missing what the point of it was just as much as the people who religiously observe it. The point is that we remember. 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 Do you remember who God is? I read the remarkable book, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, um, Earlier this year, I talked about this before actually in a, another talk, and uh, I made the terrible mistake of re reading particularly the end of it uh, in, a, in a coffee shop and 
blubbering my eyes out and having people kind of look at me saying, What's, I was like, it was, I'd say I read it, I listened to it as an audio book, so people couldn't even see what I was reading, and they just saw me sat there in the corner just blubbering, and uh, because it's such a moving and emotional story uh, about a young Jewish man who was taken to Auschwitz and, um, and t- tattooed himself, of course, with the number as they, as they all were, who were taken into the internment camps, and uh, he ended up becoming uh, the tattooist of Auschwitz himself, or one of them, uh, responsible for putting the number on new inmates that came in this, this horrendous practice of marking people as property, as marking people as being less than human, as marking people as being ready for the scrap heap, ready to be exterminated. This mark that was put upon to the Jewish people, they first in fact made to wear the Star of David to, to represent, to show in the, the, the ghettos and the communities who, who they actually were. These are, these are the Jews. You know, that's the beginning point. And then taken to the internment camps and permanently marked to uh, show who they are. Object, utter dehumanization. Turned into a number to simply be a worker before being exterminated. It's not the only time in history it's happened, branding of slaves. There's been so many ways in which we've marked people and we've tried to stamp our mark to, to indicate that they're our property, that they're, to give them a new identity that belongs to us somehow. But the reality of it is, as horrendous and as horrific as those things have been all throughout history by all sorts of different types of people in so many different ways, the truth is, is that long before anyone can do it to us, we actually dehumanize ourselves first by our rejection of God. And yet God comes to us and he restores our humanity. He says, look, whatever marks you've put on yourself, whatever ways that you've tattooed yourself with false gods, false idols, whatever brands you've put, whatever claims you've stamped upon yourself that are nothing to do with me, whatever stamps and claims and tattoos have been put on you by other people, however you've been marked, however you've been tattooed in a way that pulls you away from your true humanity, your true reality as a child of God, let me do something about that. Let me wash you clean of those marks. Let me me take those marks away which don't define you, and instead let me tattoo true humanity onto your heart. My commands, my truth, my image. Jeremiah 31, 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will write it on their hearts. What are the things that you've allowed to be tattooed upon to yourself by the things that people have said about you, by the things that the world says are important? What are the things that you've put on yourself? What are the things that people have put on you, even though you struggled, even though you wrestled, even though you feel like perhaps it was something that was done to you that you you couldn't avoid? You tried so hard, you just couldn't avoid that mark being put upon you. No one would accuse the Jewish people of, uh, of of just letting it happen. They couldn't do anything about it. But God comes in and he says, look, whatever... Whatever the marks are, whether you were responsible or whether you weren't, and and the truth is, when it comes to our rejection of God, we are all culpable. We are. All have fallen short of the standard and the glory of God. Whatever those things are, God says, let me wipe the slate clean because I am the one true God. And if you love me, you will realize that what I have to tattoo upon your heart will reveal to you who you are always supposed to be, your true humanity, children of God, given that right by what Jesus has done. 
I was in, uh, there's a lot of German, Germany stories today, man. I just want to welcome you uh, uh, guys uh, from Germany today to, to uh, make you feel at home with a story about Berlin. Have we got any Berliners in the place today? No? So I, uh, I was in Berlin a few years ago and a friend of mine was visiting with a friend of mine. He decided he wanted to get a tattoo. I was like, cool. We went to get a tattoo in a tattoo parlor and um, he was sat there getting something on his leg and I was just sat there watching. I was a bit bored. It takes a while to get, get a tattoo. And so I, uh, I was just sat there and I kind of, my mind went a bit idle. I got distracted, which is often what happens. And as I got distracted, I uh, didn't really think and I, I absentmindedly put my foot on the bed where he was getting a tattoo. And as I put my foot on the bed, of course, what happened to the, to the Gandhi that he was on, it, it shifted a little bit as the guy was like tattooing my friend's leg and it moved a bit and the guy pulled the tattoo needle away from my friend's leg and he looked at me and was like, nine, which I believe means no. And he, uh, and he then proceeded to scream at me uh, various things in German, things I'm sure would make Sven blush if he heard them. I have no idea what they were. The Lord spared my ears from those things, didn't give me the gift of interpretation at that moment, which I was very thankful for. And he screamed these things at me. Why was he so angry? Because he's putting his art onto my friend. He's, he's putting his, 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 his imagery on there, and it is going to be there forever. And if he makes a mistake, that's on him. But if he makes a mistake because I kicked the gantry and his, his, you know, he gives a big squiggle down my friend's leg, then that's my fault. And then he's going to be marked forevermore. I mean, say my friend was convinced that I did it on purpose. I didn't. I was genuinely absentmindedly just resting my leg. But the consequences of that could have been really bad for my friend. He would have been marked with a weird mark that he didn't want on his life. It would have been a permanent mistake. But God says to us, you know, your mistakes don't have to be permanent. Our mistakes are taken by Jesus. He wears our messed up tattoos in his hands, in his feet, and in his side. His scars reveal that we don't need to wear horrid, messed up tattoos of rebellion and rejection against God any longer. We can instead have his truth etched onto our hearts. So how do we ensure that the one true God's commands are written on our hearts, that we always remember that he is God and that we can love him always? We should love him always. That's what we're here for with everything. Well, I think we need to let God tattoo us in five ways. The first way is this. We need to let God tattoo us in prayer Tattoo us in prayer that our hearts would be written upon in the secret place of devotion and relationship. Colossians 4.2 tells us that we need to devote ourselves to prayer. Why? Because we are changed when we pray to God. Soren Kierkegaard, the great philosopher, said, Prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. Prayer changes us. And when we get into the secret place, the devoted place, and we commit ourselves to God, we say, God, I'm here in your presence. I want to be devoted to you in, in prayer, in personal worship. I want to give myself, I want to make myself available to hear from you, to dwell in your presence, to let you write your commands upon my heart. And let me make something clear. God writing his commands upon our hearts is, is not to make us legalistic people who, who rotely go about observing God's religious decrees, quite the opposite. If God had to chisel his commands into the stone of our hearts, we might have a problem. But what God does is he takes the stone of our hearts and he jolts them back to, back to life. He, he turns them from, from, from stone to flesh 
so that he's not chiseling something out of the rockiness of our hearts. It's, oh, no, this is awful. He's chipping away. He's chiseling away and, and putting something into the stone. No! He turns our hearts to flesh. And when they're fleshy, then he inscribes a tattoo upon them. And the relationship of life, flesh, blood, which brings with it forgiveness. The relationship of those things that are all represented in our hearts, our whole person, that become fleshy, that become turned towards him. Remember to love him with everything that we have, everything. That fleshy heart becomes etched with the truth of God. And it means that as we live those things out, it's not just rote religion, religious observance. Although there's nothing wrong with a little bit of duty in our Christian walk at all. We should be wary not to run so far from duty because we're scared of religion that we actually forget that sometimes duty is what keeps us going when the love well is running dry from our side. Nothing wrong with a little bit of duty as long as it doesn't usurp love ultimately because that is the driving force. Love is the driving force. And that's why God doesn't etch these things into your mind where they can just be understood. He etches them into your heart where they can be lived from the seat of your life, of which he asks you to enthrone him upon. We need to let him tattoo us by his word, number two. Will we let the Bible read us that it may imprint itself upon our hearts as it does? We come to the Bible and read it. That's fine. Great. But will we let the Bible read us? God, read me this morning. Imprint your word on me. I don't just want to take this in. I want it to be imprinted on me. You know, if you, if you have something that's still a bit wet and you, you put your hand on it and you take it away, it kind of leaves an imprint upon your, on, on your hand. We need to do that with the Bible, like press it against. I don't mean like literally physically. I don't want to walk into a room and see you guys all just holding the Bible to yourselves like that. But we need to like figuratively press it against us so that it, it imprints itself upon us. It's tattooed onto our hearts. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you, tattoo you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's all part of this heart response. The old adage goes like this, be careful not to have all of scripture stored up in your head and not one word of it in your heart. Number three, tattoo us in community. Kids change everything. So my friends who have kids tell me, I haven't got kids. I've got a little doggy called Toshi and he's, he's changed some stuff in my life. I, I have to go walking more now uh, than, I, than I would naturally like to do. I'm not a big walker, but you have to take the dog for a walk and that's fine. And you know what? I'm starting to really enjoy it. And the, the quiet times that I get with the Lord while I'm walking the dog around the park, it's ace. It's really, really good. But he's also changing our family dynamic just by his personality. Nate and I were just laughing all the time because he's such a funny little doggy, and he's brought joy into our household. This is what happens in community. When you start to surround yourself, not just with a cute little puppy, but with other believers, we actually become forged in community as new creations. Paul exhorts us in Galatians to carry each other's burdens. Think about that, that we as Christian community would carry each other's burdens, help each other to move towards Christ that we would become more like him, not just individually, but together as his people. Community changes us. Let God tattoo you through his community. Tattoo us through service. War veterans who go to war and come back changed by what they see in negative, horrible ways. So, so difficult, tragic stories we hear from, from wars all over the world, PTSD and so on. But the inverse for us is that as we go into spiritual battle in the world, not against people, but against powers and principalities, as we go to spiritual battle in the world and serve God in the world by serving people, it changes you. 
It tattoos you. It writes something new across your life. Those who are involved in Love Withenshaw will, will know that the stories that came back from Love Withenshaw, it changed people. I saw people's countenance different. I saw people walking talker, walking taller, walking with more, with more faith, with, with more conviction to keep going, to, to get involved in the, in the ongoing work that we're doing. Why? Because service changes you. It writes something fresh across your life, across your motivation, across your character. Let God tattoo you as we are devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. From Romans 12, the very same passage that talks about us being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And finally, that God would tattoo us through perseverance. Getting a tattoo hurts if you've ever had one. I've got a few. Sucks. Anybody who says Tattoo does, tattoos don't hurt is probably just trying to impress a girl or something because they, they do, they really hurt. But you keep going in the chair because you don't want a half-finished tattoo that looks weird. And so it is with life and walking with God. It can be painful. It can be difficult. But if you give up halfway through, then you only get half the story. You only get half the image. You only get half the reality of what God is writing upon your life and doing in and through you. Don't bail out halfway through. Persevere and let God tattoo upon you the full image that he has for you. If you leave halfway, you'll get a faulty image seen it happen time and time again. Persevere. Let God tattoo you in prayer, by his word, in community, through service, through perseverance. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I don't know everything right now, but one day I will know everything I need to know by God's grace and provision. Until such a time as that, I'm going to persevere for his glory. COVID has given us hands, face, space. That's the rhetoric right now. Hands, face, space. The Shema gives us hands, house, gates. He says, tie these things on your hands. That's the individual response. Remember these things as an individual. Put these things up on your house door. That's the family. Make sure your family knows these things. Put these things up on your gates, the community, the civic duty, the society. What is this? This is a reality that this is for everybody at all times and all situations. When we combine that with love God, with heart, soul, strength, and then when Jesus later says it in the Gospels, heart, soul, strength, and mind, we see that this really does cover everything. The Shema. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, that we would hear that there is one God to love him with everything, always to let him transform us as he writes his commands, promises, truth onto our hearts to impact us, our family, our society. And as we do these things, we can live lives that truly proclaim in word and deed. Hear, O world, the Lord our God, the Lord of hope, peace, life, and love is one. Do you know him? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are God, the one true God. We love you. Help us to love you with everything that we have, to honor you and you alone, to write these things into our lives for our individual growth and commitment and focus, for the influence of our families, for the influence of our society, for the influence of the world, that they too could know your truth, your hope, your love. Hear, O world, the Lord our God is one. He is good. Would we, Lord, go into the world and reveal you so that they could know you for your glory? In Jesus' precious name, amen. 
thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a brand new episode there right now.